no matter what. Uh, today we continue this series called Rivals, and I got a question as I start today, and, uh, and I'm going to need your help, okay? So this is unscientific research that we're getting ready to do. The, uh, the margin of error is, error is probably like 30, 40%, so for all of our mathematicians in here, please, please disregard that. But, but here's the deal. Here's the question, and then I'm going to give you some answers. How did you meet your significant other, Okay. So if you're in a dating relationship, how'd you meet that person? If you're married, how'd you meet that person? If you're, you know, maybe divorced, how'd you meet that, the person that you were last with, all right? So that's the question, okay? How did you meet your significant other? Where did you meet your significant other? So here we go. This is what I'm going to say. Here's an answer. You raise your hands, okay? So how many of you met your significant other online? Like eHarmony, Match.com, FarmersOnly.com, anybody? All right, FarmersOnly.com, is that, oh, no, it wasn't, okay, all right, all right. What an incredible commercial, if you've ever seen it. You just got to go look it up. Anyway, um, the fellow spiritual people in here, how many of you met your significant other, like at church, some church event, church camp? All right, a couple of spiritual people in here. A few spirit. Right, there we go. All right. For all the heathens in here, how many of you met your significant other at the club or at the bar? There you go. Raise those hands. All right. We love you. We're glad you're here. Here's the big question. How many of you met your significant other because your mom hooked you up? Come on. There's got to be. There's nobody here at this church. First service. Who's afraid? There we go. Right here. We got it. All right. One person. Or one couple. Great. Uh, maybe more moms need to get involved in relationships with, I don't know. It was her dad. Okay. Dads count too. Even better, actually. I like hearing dads are involved with them. And I'll tell you why in a little bit as we talk through our, our talk today. But, uh, but anyway, dating's hard, right? I mean, if you're in that dating world, you know that. If you've been in the dating world, you know how tough it is. There's, there's all these questions you're trying to answer. You know, is this person going to like me? What, what am I going to say? You know, am I going to say something they're going to run away from me about? Uh, are they normal now? And then after we get married, they're going to be crazy. Um, are they serial killers? I mean, these are all questions we actually ask because we want to figure that out. We want to find the right person, right? And so we spend all this time trying to, trying to find that person and make sure they, they kind of check most or if all the boxes that, that we have because dating's hard. We want to find this person we could spend our, our life with. And, and many of us have, have been there before and some of us are in the midst of that now. Well, today as we continue this series, we're going to kind of talk about this really strange sort of dating courtship that, that took place in our story today. And uh, it actually goes back to last week. If you were here last week, Joe Wilson was here and spoke, and he was talking about the story of Jacob and Esau, uh, two brothers, uh, twins, and uh, there was a lot of angst between these two brothers. And if you were here, you kind of know that story, or you heard that story, you kind of see why that angst was, was there. But as we look at Jacob, we, we find that Jacob, he's a, he, he's a guy who's trying to figure out life for himself. Uh, and in fact, he's, he's not much different than you, you and me. Uh, Jacob's one of those people, he's trying to, to fill this void that's deep inside of him, that, that he's got this, this hole that's there, and, and he's trying to figure out, how do I fill that? And so this morning, as we look at the story, we're going to find that Jacob tries to find that through true love. 
And honestly, if we, we think about you and myself, sometimes that's what we do. We're trying to find true love. We're trying to find something to fill those holes that we have. And, and many times it's, it's trying to find that in the relationships around us, especially in a, in a love relationship. And so we're going to look at a part of Jacob's story. Joe talked about this very briefly last week. Um, but it's an interesting story. It's a strange story. It's a weird story. Um, but we see God at work in it the whole time. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 29 today. Genesis chapter 29. There are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Man, feel free to grab one of those. Um, those Bibles are free, by the way, which means if you need a Bible, if your Bible's ripped to shreds or marked in all over the place, or if you know somebody who needs one, man, grab one of those, take it with you. They're free. Of course, we'll put everything up on the screen. You can follow along on your Journey Church app or your program this morning. But we're going to spend all of our time today in Genesis chapter 29, starting with verse 15. Now, here's the deal. Jacob's running away from his brother. His brother Esau is like, I'm going to kill you. And so he's running away from him. He's trying to get away from his brother. And so he actually ends up at his uncle Laban's home. This was his mom's uh, side of the family. And so he ends up there. He's working there. And in Genesis chapter 29, verse 15, here's what we read. Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages would be. So here's Jacob, and he's working for his uncle Laban. He's been there about a month, and his uncle's like, Dude, you're here. You're working hard. Hey, I want to pay you for this. So, so what is it going to cost me? What can I pay you for the work that you're doing? Look at verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, some of you are really smart in here, and you've already done the math in your head, okay? Uncle Laban has two daughters who are sisters, which means they are cousins of Jacob. And this is where I would usually insert some joke about a state that still allows that to happen, right? Not going to do that right now. We're not going to go in that direction. But you kind of get the idea of what's going on here. Laban has these two daughters. Again, they're sisters, uh, Leah and Rachel. There in verse 17, they are described, okay? So we get a, an image, an idea of who they are. The first one here, the older one, is Leah. And if you look at verse 16 or 17, it says, Leah had weak eyes. Scholars really can't agree what that means. Some say she was nearsighted which could have been very well possible. Uh, some say that she, was, uh, she had red, watery eyes, that that's the, the meaning of weak there. Some say that meant she was fragile, she was soft, maybe she was homely, potentially unattractive. And, and the reason we kind of go in that direction is because we look at that next part, it says, but Rachel, right? And Rachel's not described with weak eyes. She's beautiful. She has a lovely figure. And so here you have these two sisters, and right at the very beginning of this event uh, and the story, we, we see that we're already understanding these, these descriptions of these two young ladies. One is potentially homely and not attractive, and the other one's this beautiful lady. And so think about this for a moment. Here's this older sister who's probably been living in the shadow of her younger sister her whole life. Everybody has looked at her and said, 
Rachel's beautiful, Leah. And so there's probably been this tension there because if you've got siblings, you know that those are the kind of things you kind of point out and you, you sometimes make fun of. And maybe you don't have a relationship with a sibling because of, of moments like this. But, but we get a little description of these two young ladies and, and where they are and what they look like. And that Leah's probably grown up in the shadow of, of Rachel. Laban says, what will you do for me? And, uh, or what can I do for you? And, and Jacob says, I, I want to marry Rachel. I want to marry Rachel. That's what I want. I will work for you for seven years for Rachel. Uh, what does this mean economically? In that culture, in that day, uh, you would pay for the bride, okay? And you would pay for the bride because a bride le- leaving, this young lady leaving her family and going to another family, economically would be not devastating, but it would put a big hole in the economics of that particular family she was leaving, and so you would pay about 30 to 40 shekels to have her come be a part of that family, to be your bride. Now, in that day and time, uh, a pay month was about a, a shekel and a half is what you would get for your work during the month. Kind of do the math here, 7 times 12 is 84. You multiply that by one and a half shekels. You're looking at about 126 shekels is what Jacob says Rachel is worth to him. And so we're talking like triple beyond what, uh, what was normal in that day. He's like, this is how much I would really love to have Rachel be my wife. Now, why is he willing to pay NFL quarterback type prices for Rachel? I think he sees Rachel because remember what I said a little bit earlier, Jacob's not real different than, than many of us. He, he's empty. Right? There's this void there. He's looking for something to fill that. And I think he sees Rachel and he thinks to himself, she's going to change everything. Like, my life is going to be so much better because she is in my life. People are going to see me with Rachel and be like, man, Jacob's got it together. I mean, look at his wife. And so he thinks that, that being in love with Rachel or Rachel coming into his life is going to change the life that he's been living because he's been running, right? He's been running this whole time. He's got this void. He's got this emptiness, and he's looking for something to fill it, and he, he thinks love will do that. And so he sees Rachel, and he thinks, this is my opportunity to finally change my life. Never mind that before this, God and Jacob wrestled, and God's like, I'll take care of you, buddy. And Jacob's still trying to figure this out for himself and put these things in his own hands. Well, here's what happens in the next part of our story. In verse, verse 21, so seven years have passed. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So I want to talk to all the unmarried men in this room right now, okay? Uh, I'm a father of three kids. My youngest is a son, but my two oldest are daughters. If they ever get married, if I allow them to get married, maybe in their 40s when I finally say you, it's good for you to get married, um, when they come to me, or this gentleman comes to me, hopefully this gentleman, and says, Mr. Chad, I, wanna, I would like to marry your daughter. Like, just stop there. <laughs> Don't say, hey, I want to marry your daughter so I can make love to her. I don't have any weapons in my house. I've got my two hands and that's it, but I will use them. Because I can't even imagine saying this to anybody, for one, but especially to this dad that you're you know, asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, what's interesting about this is that the Jewish scholars struggle with this too. 
Robert Alter is a Jewish scholar. He says that as they've looked at this passage, it's just very strange. Like, Jacob is not using normal language right here. This is not normal Jewish dialogue. Like, something's not quite right with him. And if we know much about his story, there's an emotional immaturity, I think, that's there with, with Jacob. But, but then his issue is there's just this sexual longing. So for him, what they kind of gather is, here's Jacob who's saying, the only thing that's going to bring me fulfillment is, is a sexual connection with Rachel. That's it. So he's not in a very healthy place at all. But he still thinks that this is going to be the thing that's going to take care of him. This is the thing that will, will totally change his life if he just has Rachel. Everything will be, will be perfect, and that void will be filled. Look at verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Jacob does exactly what he's supposed to do. He gives his seven years, right? He gives his seven years, and it's his wedding day, and he's been waiting for this moment, and Rachel's going to be his. And, and like I said a little bit earlier, I mean, the days have passed so quickly because he's so excited. And then things happen, and he wakes up the next morning, and he's like, Rachel's not here. This is, is Leah. And some of us are like, dude, didn't you know? I mean, because I got married, and I remember who I woke up with the next day. I mean, come on now. I think that we got to think a little bit about the culture again there. Um, weddings were week-long type festivities, ceremonies. Uh, you would have a main day, a main ceremony day. And uh, the wife-to-be, the bride, would be very heavily veiled. Like, you could hardly tell that there was somebody there because that was just, again, the culture. And so you'd have this big party. You'd have this feast. There would be alcohol there. Um, it's quite possible, probably very likely, that Jacob drank and maybe drank a little too much and could have been inebriated. Plus, you're, you're taking them back. Part of this is you send them to the wedding tent. Like, everybody's partying, and then they're like, it's time for you two to go. And so they go to the wedding tent to consummate this marriage, right? And so it's probably in the evening, if not dark. They didn't have those little cute hanging lights that we have all over the place and all that kind of stuff. It's probably dark in that tent and being inebriated. Okay, you kind of get the picture here, right? And so he wakes up and he thinks he's been with Rachel and he wakes up and he looks over and he's like, there's Leah. And so he's kind of struggling with this. Like something happened and I'm not sure what took place last night. In our story, there's this rivalry between... I think Leah and Rachel, right? Which we can kind of see pretty easily. But there's also one here between Laban and, and Jacob. I want you to put yourself in, in, in Laban's shoes for a moment. Um, Laban has two daughters. And, and in that culture, the oldest would get married first. I wonder how many other guys had come to that house and it's like, hey, we'd really like to take Rachel in as, as a part of our family. I, I want to marry Rachel. And Laban may have said, nope, you've got to marry Leah first. And they're like, all right, we're out. We're not going to do this. And as a dad, I, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. Like, oh, 
Uh, I'm guessing his relationship with Rachel was probably a little bit stronger. Uh, maybe he, he was more connected to her because of the way people looked at her. And maybe he looked at Leah a little bit differently, but he's thinking, I've got to do something. Leah needs to be married. I've, I've got to make sure this happens. And so what does he do here? He deceives Jacob. And so there's this rivalry between those two here too. But, but last week, Joe talked about Jacob's name. And Jacob's name means the deceiver. So now we see the deceiver is being deceived by his own uncle. And this is not what, what Jacob had planned. This was not the whole plan he had put into place that I'm going to work seven years and I'm going to have Rachel. My life's going to be great. He works seven years and he wakes up and Leah's in bed with him. And this is what happens in verse 26. Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. Laban's a shrewd businessman, too. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years years. Did you catch verse 26 there? If you go back and look at verse 26, it says, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. The Hebrew, if you were to write the Hebrew out, this is what it would say, around here, it is not the custom to put the younger before the older. Laban is a part of Jacob's family. It's his uncle. Guess what stories he knows about? He knows the story of Jacob and Esau. And so right here in this moment, Laban is actually shooting darts at the rest of his family, right? Not that anybody in this room would ever shoot darts at someone else in your family. You would never do that, but they did that back in the day. And so he's shooting darts at this other side of the family like, hey, we don't do things the same way that your family does things. Because think about this for a moment. Again, if you were here last week, you remember this. If not, um, Jacob gets the birthright for his family. It's not his job to get the birthright. It's the firstborn's role to get the birthright. That was Esau, Jacob's secondborn, but he gets the birthright. It's not the, the right of the secondborn to get the blessing of the family. Guess what Jacob gets? He actually gets the blessing of the family, not his older brother Esau, the way things were supposed to play out. Laban... He's throwing darts at Jacob's family. Like, your family is messed up, buddy. Like, there's a structure, there's a process here, and you guys, whew, you're way out of line. And so he reminds Jacob, he's like, hey, Jacob, the oldest gets married first, and then the younger one. And that's why I've done this thing to you. Laban, I think in some ways, is getting back at his family. But he's also getting back at, at Jacob and what Jacob has kind of experienced in his own family. And so he deceives the deceiver. After a week, uh, the wedding ceremony, uh, they actually give him Rachel. And so then Jacob works another seven years to work off that commitment that has been made. When we uh, 
When we looked at the story last week with Jacob and Esau, every time I read that story, every time I hear about that story, and I think about Esau, I feel kind of bad for Esau, right? Like, uh, did he really do a whole lot to get what he, he got? Not really. And so you kind of have a little compassion for Esau. In this story here, I don't really have any compassion at all for Jacob. Just if you know more about him, if you look back at, at his life, uh, not a whole lot of compassion for Laban or Rachel, but for Leah. Man, my heart kind of goes out for her. She's kind of caught in, in the middle of, of this, this chapter here in the story. And in fact, what I would say is this story is not about Jacob. It's not about Laban. It's not about Rachel. The story is all about Leah. Because Leah is really not a whole lot different than Jacob. Jacob's looking for something to fill that, that hole that he has, that void. But she's doing the exact same thing. And we'll read more about that in a second. She's looking for something, right? She's looking for something to fill the void that she has. Because she's been the shadow of her sister. She's probably been made fun of and maligned and rejected. And she's not supposed to be. She's the oldest. She's supposed to get most of everything. And, and nothing's happening in her life. And so there's this, this pain and this struggle that I believe that, that Leah has in her life too. And so she's looking for something to fill the void she has. And I'm sure when all this plays out, she's thinking to herself... This is it. Jacob's going to fill that void. Jacob's going to take care of this emptiness that I have, that I'm going to have this husband now, and, and my life's going to be wonderful. And, and yet she doesn't experience that. She experiences something very different. I think you and I, we struggle with that same thing, that, that we're out and we're looking for something to fill the voids that we have, to, to fill that emptiness. And, and maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's that career. Maybe it's that financial plan. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe there's those addictions that we struggle with, and, and we keep reaching out for those things because we think they're going to fill our void. And, and what we find is they never really truly take care of that emptiness that we have. And so we struggle to find answers to that. We, we reach out, and, and really what we're doing is every day we're going to bed with Rachel, and we're waking up to Leah. And I don't mean that disparaging to these particular people here. I mean, that's just how we are. We, we go to bed, and we're like, hey, I, I think I found this. I finally found the right relationship. And, and we think that's going to answer the prayers that we have or the, the hopes that we have. And yet what we find is it doesn't. We wake up the next morning, and, and we're not better. We're, we're not healthier. That void is, is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. We, we go to bed with Rachel, and we, we wake up with, with Leah. And we're trying to figure out how do we take care of the void that is deep down inside of us. Leah's doing the exact same thing. She's She's trying to do the same thing. She's looking for some Rachel to be a part of her life. She's looking for Jacob to fill that void. But, but she finds she's waking up, and she's still empty too. Well, they, these two get married, Jacob and, and Leah, and then we, we read a little bit more about their story that really kind of opens up to, to where Leah is and how God works. Look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... And the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Those are painful words to read. He enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. 
Again, she conceived, and when he, or excuse me, when she gave birth to a son, she said, "Now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons." So he was named Levi. Those first words are, are painful to read. Uh, as you see that God sees that Leah was not loved and rejected, and so He says, "Hey, I'm going to give you some sons." Now, again, in that culture, having sons was so important. Uh, you know, ladies, you were important, but not like the sons. The, the, the sons kind of elevated you. And so here's Leah, who God looks at and is like, you're not loved. And he gives her sons. And not just one son, but two sons and three sons. And so she's, she's bringing all these sons into the world. And, and maybe for her, she's saying, now people will finally take me seriously. Now people will, will look at me and, and care about me and not reject me and not malign me because look what I'm bringing here into our family and to our world. And, and in fact, each time she gives birth to this, one of these sons, she gives them a name, which means something very specific. If you look at their names, Reuben means to see and it's almost like she's saying, hey, now Jacob will finally see me, right? She feels rejected. She doesn't feel loved. They have Simeon. Simeon means to hear. Oh, now Jacob will hear me. Now, now Jacob will listen to me. I, I'm guessing, based on who Jacob is, there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue and conversations going on between him and, and Leah. That he was spending most of his time, if not all of his time, with, with Rachel. And so she's like, I just want to be heard. And Levi means to attach. And I think in her mind, she's thinking, okay, now I've given him three sons. I mean, this is incredible. Maybe now he will fully love me and put his arms around me like, hey, you're an incredible, incredible wife. Again, because I think she's looking for something to fill that void that she has deep down inside. She's, she's looking for a savior, right? And she thinks Jacob is the one that can be that savior for her. That can bring her out of that pit, of that despair, that place that she's in. And so she can finally experience love and connection and, and a fulfillment of, of the whole that is deep down. She wants to be loved. Robert Frost once wrote, Love was an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. And Leah is not irresistibly desired, but she wants to feel that. She wants to know what love is. She desires that love and is not finding it from her husband. But then look at verse 35. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Do you notice whose name's not mentioned right here? Jacob. Every other time she had a kid, she had a son, she's like, oh, Jacob will see me now, he'll hear me now, he'll attach to me. Right here she says, I don't care anymore. Like, I have understood, I understand now what's most important. It's not these boys, it's not the relationship with Jacob. No, the most important thing is God. And so I've got to change my focus. My focus can't be on Jacob. It can't be on my family. It can't be on my sons. It can't even be on myself. My focus now has to change. It has to be in God. Then I've got to do everything I can to focus on who God is. Here's the crazy part about her story and how God works. 
Again, I don't think Leah's any different than Jacob, that she's looking for something to fill this hole that's deep down inside of her. And she thinks it's going to come in these things that the culture would say, this is where you should find this fulfillment. This is where these, these voids and these holes should be filled. And, and, and she finally gets to the place saying, no, it's going to be through Jesus. Or excuse me, it's going to be through God. That, that I'm going to find that focus through God. Once she changes that mindset and she does that, here's what we see God do. God jumps in and blesses her. Levi becomes the father, if you will, of the Levi tribe, which would have been the priestly tribe of the nation of Israel. And then Judah, more specifically, became the lineage of kings. King David's a great, 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 great grandson, probably a few more greats in there, of, uh, of, of Judah. And what do we know about that lineage? Not only does it go from Judah to King David, but it goes to King Jesus. Here's this person, this woman who feels, again, rejected and in the shadow of her sister and looked down upon and, and probably laughed about and talked about. And yet when she gets to this place of saying, I'm going to change my focus from, from you and me to God, God's like, now I can bless you. Now we can do something. Now, now your life can be different. And God blesses her through the generations that would come after her. And honestly, from Leah, you and I are blessed today through, through Jesus Christ. But it took her again to this place of focusing on who God truly was in her life and getting away from thinking it was going to come through Jacob. There's a question I think you and I have to sort of wrestle with here. And the question is, what is our Rachel? What is that Rachel in your life? What is that thing that you and I, that we chase after, and we think that's going to make everything right? We, we chase after having another kid because we think that's going to make our, our marriage better. Uh, we chase after that, that next step in our career because we think if I hit that particular level, my life's going to be incredible. I'm going to make more money, and people are going to look up to me. We think that's going to bring fulfillment to us. And so we go through life, whatever it may be, relationships and money and, and finances and, and, and marriage and all these different things. We think... If we keep chasing after the Rachels, we'll finally grab one and everything will be great. But then we wake up the next morning and it's Leah. Like we're, we're, we're back to where we were. That emptiness and that void, it hasn't gone anywhere. We've just been on this dumb chase, maybe for many, many years. So what is your Rachel? What is that thing that you can't let go of? What is that thing or that person, something in your life that you keep focusing on, you keep reaching for, and you think if you get it, everything's going to be great? Because what we normally find is we wake up the next morning and our life is still the same. Maybe we feel good for a little while. Maybe things seem okay, but the truth is nothing's really changed. We're still the same person. We're still struggling with the same pain and hurt. We're still looking for the same thing. We're still looking for more Rachels to fill our life. What is your Rachel? What is that for you? What is that for, for me? And maybe you're the person who's been chasing these Rachels and you're thinking, someday I'll find it. Here's the deal. And this is what I, I love about the story. It says God loved Rachel. Or excuse me, loved Leah. God loved Leah. She's still searching for something to fulfill that hole that's there, but, but says God loves Leah. So here's the deal. When you and I, when we're out there searching, when we're looking for something to fill that emptiness, God still 
loves us. No matter what decisions we're making, no, no matter what poor decisions we're making and bad choices we're making, God's like, I still love you no matter what. I still love you as you're chasing after your, your Rachels in your life. But then I think God's also saying, but, but I need you to focus on me. Change your attitude. Change your mindset. Change what you're looking for. Focus on me. Focus on Jesus. And let me bless you through that. I think that's the power of the story today is that we're not really any different than Jacob. Not really any different than, than Leah. But in the end, my hope is that we can be more like Leah that we can find what we're looking for, not in stuff, not in people, not in things, but we can find it in Jesus Christ. I know your marriage might be messy. Your dating relationship may be, be, be torn apart. Maybe your family life is rough. Maybe, again, your finances are crazy. Maybe there's an addiction that you just can't seem to let go of. You know, there's these things out there that, that affect who we are. But here's the deal. God still loves you. Even as we're looking for something to fill those voids, God still loves me. And all God asks is that we focus on Jesus. And I truly believe when we do that, when we take that step and we follow Christ and we put our focus on there, those are the moments God can say, okay, now I can do some incredible things in your life. I don't know what that means, by the way. Maybe your marriage gets fixed. Maybe those relationships are repaired. I don't know. That's my hope. But, but it just takes us to get to the place of taking that step to truly follow Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're an individual who's uh, been a follower of Christ. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a few years or for many years. And you know what? Even if we're followers of Jesus, we still go chasing after those Rachels. We still go trying to find those things in life to fill those voids that we have. Maybe today is a moment for us to be reminded, hey, my focus really should be on Jesus. And if I can do that, if I can put my focus on Jesus, I can abide in Jesus, God will do incredible things in my life. God, God will send some sort of blessings on me, whatever that may be. Maybe finally I'll feel that that emptiness is gone. And maybe that's the only thing we experience. But it'll be worth it. And for others of us in here, maybe we're in this beginning of our spiritual journey. I think Gary talked about this a little bit. Maybe on the beginning point of your spiritual journey, you have doubts about God. You struggle with this whole Jesus thing. Um, look, that's okay, okay? Um, and, and also know, this is a safe place for you to have those doubts. We're not a church that if you say, hey, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, that you're out. That's not how this works. We're on this journey together. And so maybe you have those doubts, but you realize you've been chasing a lot of Rachels. And, and maybe this is a day you're kind of like, I've got to take that first step of faith. I've got to change something. I've got to focus on Christ. One of the things we invite you to is to be baptized here at the journey. We find that throughout Scripture in the New Testament. This is a step people are taking in their spiritual walk to follow Christ. And, and maybe that's where you are. You need to take that step. Maybe you just need to talk about it. Uh, the the uh, connection cards and the seats in front of you, just grab one of those. Fill it out. Mark baptism. You can do that on our connection card that's on our app. We'll get that information. We'll contact you. We'll have that spiritual conversation. But it means taking that step and being willing to say like Leah, hey, my focus is now different. It's changed. For us, it's now on Jesus. That's the question that we have to wrestle with. 
Uh, are we going to put our time and our focus on Christ? Or are we going to go through our life chasing after Rachel's? That's why I love this time together on Sundays where we, we take this bread and this juice together. I mean, it's, it's one for us to be reminded, Jesus, was Jesus really much different than Leah? I mean, he was rejected. People didn't really care for him. They were like, he's doing great things. However, he's causing problems. He's in the way. And so these people got together and they, they had him killed. But, but the beauty of the story is that God brought him back to life. And for you and I, maybe that's what we need to be reminded of, that we can be brought back to life too because of Jesus. And maybe taking communion today is, is one of those things that helps us be reminded of that. So we're going to invite you to stand right now. We're going to sing with our band. And, and as we sing together, you can come to the front or to the back. You can grab the bread and juice, take it back to your seats. You can remain standing. We're going to sing. We'll take it together. Uh, if you're brand new, just follow the people around you. Maybe you came prepared to give. Maybe you filled out a connection card. You want information about baptism? Throw those in the offering trays and offering baskets today. But as we do this together today, please be reminded that, that the Rachels are out there, but our focus should be on, on Jesus. Let's commune together.